Father in heaven, as we come to study your word once more this evening, I pray that you would be with us in a very special way. May the Holy Spirit be poured upon us in a very powerful way that will help us understand the things that are written within this book. And Lord, most of all, help us to see and to understand and to apply and realize the time that we're living in, Lord. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Okay, we've gotten through Revelation chapters 1 through 12 already, and we're looking at chapter 13 this evening. And in the next hour, we are planning to finish Revelation 13. We've been on it for two hours already. And this part of Revelation 13 is actually one of my most enjoyable because we see clearly how relevant the time is to us today. So let's go to Revelation chapter 13. We'll, we will be studying the image to the beast this evening. We've already looked at the first beast for Revelation 13, which is who? The papacy, the Antichrist. And the second beast is who? That lamb-like beast, United States of America. We've already looked at the first two verses, which are related to United States of America. But we're going to go on and move on from that. Let us look at verses 13 to 14 of Revelation 13. Revelation chapter 13, and starting in verse 13, the Bible says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the sight, on the earth in the sight of men. Who is the one that makes fire come down? The second beast, which is a lamb-like beast, which is the United States of America. Now, we looked at this fire also already. That fire relating to two things and two stories, Elijah on Mount Carmel and also Cain and Abel, showing that in, a, in Mount Carmel experience that who is a true God and in Cain and Abel's experience was what worship was accepted. So we see in a great way, whether this is be literal or not, I know spiritually this is referring to worship and the true God. But we're looking at also verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So in verse 14 it says here that with this fire he deceives them. And this word deceiveth in a large way is a characteristic of the serpent coming out, as we saw in Revelation chapter 12. So Revelation chapter 12, we saw the serpent deception, and we see the same face or the same picture coming out here, deception. And it says that by this deception that they should make an image to the beast. Now who is a they referring to? Who is the they referring to in verse 14? Let's read this again. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they... So who is the they referring to? Them that dwell on the earth. Now, contextually, what is this earth referring to? It's not the whole world. What was the earth uh, prophetically looking or pointing to? Who was it? United States of America. So, 
the people that make an image of the beast are those that live in the United States of America. Now, it says that the image of the beast is that which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, when the people are deceived, the lamb-like beast will tell the people to make an image of the beast. Get that? First comes deception, and then after that, the lamb-like beast tells them to make an image. Two steps there, two stages. So notice this. It is still the lamb-like beast. It, it doesn't look pagan. It still looks like a lamb. So in its very outward forms, it still looks Christian. So it's still retaining these Christian principles somehow, but yet at the very heart and the root of it, it's pagan. <clears throat> so we see here that those two steps. First, deception, then image of the beast being formed. By who? United States of America. But not the government, the people. So keep this in mind, okay? Now the power is still in the hands of the people, and that's exactly the way United States of America is set up. No great law can really be passed without the people approving it first. That's what we call a republic. Republic. Now, what is the meaning of an image? When we see this image being formed here in verse 14, what is the meaning of an image? It bears resemblance or likeness, or it's like a statue. Okay? So, when we look at this image here, what image is this? It's like a statue. It's resembling something. It's resembling an image to the beast. So who is this beast then? Which image is it making an image of? Which beast is it making an image of? Pardon me. It's the first beast of Revelation 13. Now, refresh in your minds again, who is the first beast of Revelation 13? The papacy, the Antichrist. So what is the main characteristic of the first beast? The Antichrist. What is his main characteristic that has been brought out? You see, before it existed all these other nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, and then papal Rome, or the papacy. So what was the difference between this kingdom before, uh, after all these four had existed? Really, the main thing that has come out above everything else is the union of church and state. So when the United States of America deceives the people and gets them to make an image to the beast, really its main characteristic is related to a union of church and state. A religio-political power is what we call it. A union of church and state. Religio-political power. So that's the main characteristic that really stands out of the first beast of Revelation chapter 13. And the people in the United States of America are making an image to it. America will not cause the people to worship the Catholic Church or the papacy, but they will make an image. Do you see that? They're not going to say, look, worship the Catholic Church, worship the papacy. They're going to make an image that looks exactly like it, but somehow or other, it still has its physical qualities, or I say outward forms of a Christian worship style or Christian nation. 
Because remember, the one that is setting it up and causing people to do that is United States of America. And they are the ones that cause fire to come down saying, look, our worship is being approved by God and you ought to worship this because he, quote unquote, is the true God. Now moving on, when you worship this image, in reality you are really worshipping the papacy because the image is exactly like the papacy. Okay? When you worship this image to the beast, you're really worshipping the papacy itself. So this is what we see in verses 13 and 14 so far. Now, let's move on to verse 15. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, we see another picture forming here, and it says that he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. There are two stages that are mentioned so far, that we've, what we've seen. First, a making of the image of the beast. A making of the image. It has a form and no power. Okay, It's just lying there dormant. But the image has already been formed. Parallel to what we also see in creation, when God created Adam. He first had to form him, so he had the image. But Adam was still lying there like dust. But the second stage we see is that power is given to the image. And after that, now, this image is able to speak. Also paralleling the creation account of Adam, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Then Adam became a living being. And so to speak, this image is going to have life breathed into it, and then it's going to start speaking. But this is not the creation of God, of course. This is none other than the creation of Satan himself. So, who is it that gives power to the image of the beast? When it says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, who is that he referring to? Well, let's go back a bit and read verse 14, and then come into verse 15, and we'll see clearly who this is, okay? Let's go back to verse 14 of Revelation 13. The Bible says, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Now, who is it that does the miracles? United States of America. Okay? Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So it's still the subject matter is still referring to the United States of America who made the miracles and then deceives them and get them to make an image of the beast. So it comes down to verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So who is it referring to he there? It's United States of America, the second beast still. So, United States of America is going to be the one that gives life to the image of the beast. But who is this image referring to again? The first beast of Revelation 13, the papacy. 
Now, it says that after the beast is given life, this image of the beast, it says that this image will both speak. First, it'll speak. Now, what type of image is it? An image to the beast. Now, how does a beast speak? How, what is a beast again? It's a kingdom. Daniel chapter 7, verse 17 and 23. So, a beast is a kingdom. Now, how does a kingdom speak? Through its laws. Exactly. So, when this image to the beast begins to speak, somehow it's going to speak a law. Okay? That's what verse 15 tells us, that that image of the beast should both speak, and what is this law related to? What type of law is this? Well, it says, and causes that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So what type of law is this? It has two characteristics. First, this law is related to worship. It is a religious law. It says that it will cause that as many as would not worship the image. Then the second law, the second characteristic of this law is that it has a death decree. So when this image speaks, when a law is passed, it's going to have two elements, worship and death decree. Keep that in mind. But here's the question that I want to ask you. Who is the one that gives power to the death decree? It is United States of America. Remember, because at the beginning it says, and he had power to give life. So really, the image of the beast is very closely related to the United States of America. Because without it, without USA... This image of the beast cannot speak, cannot be alive, okay? Now, where else in the Bible have you seen the same picture of a law that has been passed, which is related to worship, and also, if you do not worship, you're going to be killed? Where have we seen that before? Daniel chapter 3. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. I want to look at this for a moment, okay? Daniel chapter 3. And you're going to see clearly here why that the book of Daniel is a must study before you come to Revelation. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. I want to show you this. We're going to see a similar law passed out. And it has two elements as well. It's a law to worship. And if you don't worship, you're going to be killed. Let's go to Daniel 3. Now, Daniel 3 is pre, has a prelude of Daniel 2, which is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Nebuchadnezzar sees in this dream a head of gold. And Daniel tells him, King Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is the head of gold. Signifying that his kingdom would eventually pass away because the chest and arms of silver were to be coming next, which was to be another kingdom. So, of course, Nebuchadnezzar says, well, Daniel, thank you for telling me this dream and interpreting it. But in chapter 3, we see that he's going to about to set up an image, and probably exactly the same one that he saw in Daniel 2. But this image is all made out of gold, saying, I want my kingdom to last forever. 
But what happens? Let's go Daniel 3 and let's start from verse 1. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So he gathers all his political friends and he says, look, I want you to come up here and I want you to worship this image that I've just made. And then in verse 3, all these people came and in verse 4 it goes on. Then an herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages. Verse 5, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Now here we have a picture that Nebuchadnezzar has built this huge image, bigger than any man, and he sets it up in the plain of Dura, and he says, look, I want all you folks, when I gather you together, that when you hear music, that I want you to bow down. And then it says in verse 6, And whoso falleth not down and worship shall be the, the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. If you do not bow down and worship this image, then what are you going to do? He's going to cast you into the burning, fiery furnace. So clearly we see here a decree, a law that is to be passed, worship. And if you do not worship, you're going to be killed. You're going to be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. But one thing I really wanted to bring out, now friends, what, what was done before the people had to bow down to worship? Music was played. Music was played. And this element was so important that God repeated it three more times in this chapter. In verse 7, we see the music's, all of the, the whole list of instruments repeated again. Then in verse 10, and then again in verse 15. Four times in Daniel chapter 3, music, 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 music has been mentioned four times before they have to bow down to worship telling me to some extent that music plays a very important role in prophecy. That before we are to bow down to the image, music is going to be played. What sort of music? Well, friends, we can take a long time looking into music. But I want you to keep this point in mind, okay? We're going to move on, but remember that the type of music that God requires in our worship is very important. Because it may go to the point where to say that this music will lead you to bowing down of image. So to some extent, when we look at the fire coming down from heaven that United States of America is to do, whether or not that's literal or not, once again I'm saying I don't know. But I know according to the Bible that it's related to worship, but more specifically what type of worship in music. So music has certainly a large part to play in our worship, friends. And we have to be careful. 
have to be careful with the sorts of music that we use in our worship services. But let's move on. There are four stages that we have seen so far in Revelation 13. The first stage is performance of miracles, the fire coming down from heaven. And who performed those miracles? United States of America. So that's the first stage, performance of miracles. Second stage, after the performance of miracles come, as a result, people are deceived and they ask to set up an image to the beast. So after the people are deceived by that fire that comes down, they set up the image to the beast. That's the second stage. Third stage, making of the image. Making of the image. And the fourth stage, power is given to the image to institute a law that is related to worship and also a death decree. So, this is a fourth stage. Now, friends, as I list these four stages, the reason why I said that Revelation 13 is so fun to study is because we're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. And this year, 2006, United States of America took a great leap in fulfilling some more of Revelation chapter 13. But when we look at these four stages, performance of miracles, people being deceived and they ask to set up an image of the beast, thirdly, making an image of the beast, and fourth, power given to the image to institute a law related to worship and a death decree. To a large degree, I believe that we're already at the third stage. The third stage, the making of the image to the beast. Now, I'm going to share some information with you at the end here to show you why I believe that. And it's taken from secular sources, okay? Non-Evanist secular sources. So keep that in mind. I believe that we're at this third stage, making of an image. The next stage, power is given to institute a law related to worship and a death decree. So we're close. I believe it. I really do. But let's move on. Verse 16. Verse 16. The Bible says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Now it says that he causeth all. Now who is the he referring to? It's still the United States of America. It's still that second beast, the lamb-like beast. So United States of America in verse 16 is going to cause all. Now, what is another word for cause again? To enforce, to force, okay? So somehow United States of America is going to force everybody. How is he going to force everybody? Tell me. By making a law. By getting that image to the beast to speak. So he's going to enforce or he's going to make everybody worship. But it says small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. These are the people that are going to worship. And you know what? It encapsulates all of us here. It doesn't matter whether you're a small person or a great person. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're living under a bridge. It doesn't matter whether you're free or whether you're in prison. Every single person here on this earth, or might I say every person here in the United States of America, will have to decide 
whether they want to worship the beast or the image of the beast rather or they rather die but that's what's going to happen it says that he causeth all so we all have to make a decision separate to our parents separate to our churches our friends we have to make our own individual decision encapsulating all classes of people so friends you can't buy your way out of this one. You can't get a popularity contest and win your way out of this one. You have to make that decision yourself. <clears throat> now it says that he's going to cause them all to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Now, this mark can go in the right hand or the forehead, okay? It doesn't have to be in the right hand and the forehead. So it can either be here in the right hand or up here in the forehead. Very interesting. Because you see, why does it say right hand? What is the meaning of right hand? Righteousness, exactly. Isaiah 41.10 tells us that Jesus will uphold us with his right hand of righteousness. And that word righteousness there simply means right doing. Now when the mark goes in the right hand... What mark is this related to? The mark will be instituted when everybody has to be forced to worship this, the image of the beast. So this mark being related to a law being enforced. Okay, that's, that's still in the future. And you'll see clearly why. But somehow, when this mark goes in the right hand, people will be thinking... They're doing the right thing. They think it'll be righteous doing this. But to a large degree, right hand also is an action word. Contrary or opposite to forehead. Because why? Forehead is related to what? More thinking, mental. Alright? So these two things, really to a large degree, are separated by actions and thoughts. Actions and thoughts. Thoughts. Now, in the Bible, where, what else goes in the forehead that we've looked at in Revelation so far? Do you remember? The seal of God, Revelation chapter 7, that's correct. And what did that seal of God relate to? The Sabbath. So, the mark of the beast is actually opposite or contrary to the seal of God, which is the Sabbath of God. So this mark that goes in the forehead or in the right hand related to worship is somehow opposite or contrary to God's seal, which is the Sabbath. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 8. Let's look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 8. Let's read this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 8. The Bible says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And this was referring to the Ten Commandments. During the Israelite time period, when they were still in the wilderness, they were told that they were to bind the Ten Commandments upon their hand and as frontlets between the eyes, their forehead. 
So the law of God was to go in the right hand and also in the forehead as well. And so, really referring to two things as well, to them, think, thought. May your thoughts be pure. May your actions be pure as well. So when we look at the mark of the beast, where it goes, when it goes in the right hand and the forehead, is directly contrary to the law of God. And more specifically, the Sabbath commandment. So what is this mark? Now let's go over to Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. What is this mark of the beast referring to? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11. Is it a salvational issue to receive the mark of the beast? Why don't we start in verse 9? It'll be clearer. Revelation 14 and verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Sounds like a salvation issue to me, doesn't it? Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his what? Name. So somehow the mark of the beast is actually related to the mark of his name. Now what is the name of the beast? What is the name of the beast? Blasphemy. Let's go back. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. The Bible says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So the name of this beast is blasphemy, and you can receive the mark of his name. So you can receive the mark of blasphemy. Now, here's a question. When we study Revelation, what is the word blasphemy defined as within the book of Revelation? What is blasphemy according to the book of Revelation? Let's go over to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. What is blasphemy according to the book of Revelation itself? <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of who? Satan. So blasphemy according to Revelation itself is saying that you are a Jew, but really you're not. You are really the synagogue of who? Satan. So, when it comes to this, when you're worshipping the image of his, the, the mark of the, when you receive the mark of his name, blasphemy, you're really worshipping someone who says that they're a Jew, but they're really not. Outwardly, they look like a Christian. United States of America, outwardly, they look like a lamb. But in reality, what you're worshipping is the image of the beast. Now, when you're worshipping the image of the beast, who are you really worshipping? 
the first beast of Revelation 13, which is the Antichrist. But here's my question. In Revelation 13, who is it that gives this beast, the first beast of Revelation 13, its power? It was the dragon. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 2. It says at the end there, the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So really, in essence, when you're worshipping the image of the beast, you're worshipping the dragon. And who's the dragon? Satan. So outwardly, you may be saying, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, I'm going to church, I'm worshipping Jesus Christ. But really, you're part of the synagogue of Satan. Revelation 12.9 is the text that tells us that the dragon is Satan. So really, you're really totally opposite to what you claim to be. Now, we have many illustrations throughout the Bible that talks about this. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Many illustrations out there. So friends, you've got to be careful what you worship. Because even though in your mind you're worshipping something holy and pure and true, in reality you may be worshipping Satan himself. So you need to be careful about these sorts of things. So, so far, we see, here's a summary of what we've been seeing so far in Revelation 13. Number one, the people make the image. Okay? And we know that it is opposite to the seal of God, which is the Sabbath, because the mark goes in the forehead. And it's a law that is related to worship. There is a death decree. And lastly, you can receive the mark in your forehead or your hand, one or the other. So this is a summary that we're seeing so far. People make image. It's opposite to the seal of God, which is a Sabbath truth. It's a law that's related to worship. There is a death decree attached to it, and you can receive this mark in your right hand or your forehead. Now, friends, this is none other than relating to Sunday sacredness. When we line up all the characteristics of what we see here in Revelation chapter 13, this is the Sunday law. The Sunday law. Why? Because it is related to worship. It's a law that will be instituted at the end of time. And on top of that, there will be a death decree attached to it. I believe it. And you better too. Because the United States of America is going to be the land that institutes this law. But I want to address this issue of right hand and forehead for a moment. Now, when we look here, let's not go there before, yeah. When we look at this, what's the difference between right hand and forehead? Actions and thoughts. You see, when you think something is true, you automatically act it out, correct? But you can think something is not true, but you can still do it. Did you know that? Is there a difference? So, for example, when it comes to the Sunday sacredness issue, there are many at the end of time that will be deceived. And they will, in their minds, think that Sunday is sacred. It is God's Sabbath day of rest. And when the three angels' message comes along to show them the truth about this topic, And when the remnant comes along and the latter rain is poured out and people proclaim Saturday is a Sabbath, they will say, no, it isn't. 
and because of lack of understanding and a desire to search the Bible, they'll be deceived. So they'll think that the the Sabbath is actually Sunday. And so when the Sunday law comes in, they all automatically worship on Sunday, correct? So action automatically follows thought. But on the other hand, it says that you can receive it in your right hand and not in your forehead, one or the other, correct? There'll be many out there, I believe, according to what the Bible has been saying and been pointing, that there'll be people out there that will believe that Saturday is actually the Sabbath. Is that correct? Yes, Saturday is the Sabbath. There'll be people that actually believe that, but they will worship on Sunday because they don't want to be killed. So in their minds, they think, yes, I believe Saturday is the Sabbath. But what's the point of dying for this so-called small issue? Let's worship on Saturday and Sunday. Then we can still be a good witness to our friends out there in the Sunday churches. Whether or not that's going to be an excuse that comes up in the end of time, clearly I can see that if you receive the mark in your right hand, it's got nothing to do with your thoughts at all showing to me that literally you actually believe that Saturday is Sabbath. And you know, there are people out there today that believe both in terms of Saturdays is a rest day and also Sunday. You know who they are? The Catholic priests. Friends have told me before. They go ask their priest, tell me, is a Saturday Sabbath? And the priest will sit there. Yes, it is. Then why aren't we worshiping it? Oh, I, I keep my rest day too. I take Sabbath, Saturday off, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. So to a great degree, really, what really matters at the end of time? Yesterday, we need to prepare for it. But at the end of time, there'll be people, and specifically those who know the truth. Might I say the Seventh-day Adventist Church? who know the truth about the Sabbath. But when the law, Sunday law comes in, the Sunday sacredness issue, when that comes in and a law is instituted with a death decree, if you do not worship on Sunday, you'll be killed. I believe that many out there will leave the ranks of the Seventh-day Adventists and join the opposing ranks because they did not want to be persecuted for the truth's sake. And this is a question that we need to answer today. Are you ready to die for the truth? Are you? Are you ready to die for what you believe in? If you're not, friends, it's okay. There is still time to prepare. God is giving us still a bit of probation time. Because if you are not ready to die for the Sabbath and the truth that you believe in, what do you believe in then? Is it truth to you? Do you see what I mean? But I know that Sister White tells us that at the end of time, You know, I have many friends, and they are worried. They're scared of this time of trouble, this great persecution. And we have every right to be. We're humans. Naturally, we're afraid like that. Who wouldn't be when it's the greatest time of trouble that the world has ever seen? Sister White tells us that at that time, that God will give us the courage to stand up for the truth. So today, what we ought to be doing is keeping our heads in the Bible and saving up as much as we can into our memory.
Because I know at that time, when that time of trouble hits, God is going to raise up people. And they're with, with courage and zeal and firmness, they're going to stand for the truth. But we're not going to have anything to stand for if we don't know the Bible today. So it's very important for us to go back and study. Very important. But let's move on. Here's something that I want to share with you. Um, it's called the Ten Commandments Day. Have you heard of this before? Has everybody heard of this, the Ten Commandments Day before? Is there people that are not familiar with this? The Ten Commandments Day was instituted in 2006, May 7th, 2006. It is a grassroots movement that was started to uphold the Ten Commandments. You see, what happened was that the general public, they saw that people were saying, look, let's not put the Ten Commandments on our libraries anymore. Let's not put it in the Congress. Let's take out in God we trust. You know, let's not put church and state together. For every good reason. But what happened was that all these Christians said, look, we were founded on the Ten Commandments. So this Ten Commandments Day was started as a grassroots movement to uphold the Ten Commandments. Hence the Ten Commandments Day. Now, what is the meaning of grassroots? I had, a, I had a look at the dictionary to see what this meaning, grassroots. And friends, I took this word grassroots out from the Ten Commandments Day website today, June 2006. I looked at the website. I went to tencommandmentsday.org, I think. And in there, I read its founding and how it started up. And it said exactly that. It's a grassroots movement. So I went and looked up this word grassroots. And first meaning that I found, it's a people, people or society at a level, local level, rather than at the center of major political activity. So it's people like you and me. People or society at a local level. But second meaning that I found is involving the common people as constituting a fundamental political economic group. What sort of people found or um, constitute this group, a political economic group? It's common people. That's you and me. Now, when we look at Revelation 13, who is it that sets up the image to the beast? United States of America, but greatly to a large degree, more specifically, who is it in United States of America? It's the people. Let's look at this. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. He says to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. So largely to a great degree, the image of the beast is set up by the local common citizens of the United States of America. And the Ten Commandments Day is a big step towards the setting up of the image of the beast. Do you see that? This is the reason why I believe that we're at this third stage. Just before the United States of America is going to breathe power into that image. The image is already in its process of being set up. Why? Because largely, if you go to this website, everybody there is a Sunday church worshiper. Everybody there worships on Sunday. 
So when they get to this setting up the Ten Commandments and honoring the Ten Commandments, when they get to the Fourth Commandment, what do you think is going to happen? What day is Sabbath? Sunday. So is there actually anything wrong with putting it into a law? No, because we're actually following God. That's what they have in their mind. They've been deceived. So when it comes to this institution of the Ten Commandments Day, all these people are Sunday worshippers. To a large degree, image of the beast is already being set up. And they've already forecasted for next year, May 2007. The website has already the next date on there. A day to honor the Ten Commandments. And this grassroots movement is a political economic group. You've got to understand that. They are involved with politics. So we see here a coming together of a union of church and state. Friends, we are close, very close, to the fulfillment of Revelation 13. Take note of these things. Take note of them. Now, we've looked at, we've looked at this already. We can just move on. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 17 and 18. The closing verses of Revelation 13. Verses 17 and 18. Let's read that. The Bible says, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count. For the number of the beast, of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. His number is six, six, six. This is just another identifying mark that's given, six, six, six. But in verse 17, it says that, that no man might buy or sell except him that has first the mark or the name of the beast. So name is also the same as the mark. His name being what? Blasphemy. So if you have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, what's the number of his name? 666. Now, when we see this, no man might buy or sell, to a large degree we're looking at economic, economy. So for those who do not have the mark of the beast, for those who are not willing to bow their heads to Sunday as the Sabbath, when that law is instituted, their economic means will to a large degree limited. And like Elijah, we may have to rely on the ravens to bring our food. So this is really where our faith issue is going to be tested, whether we're going to really going to trust God with our food. And that's why the Bible says, don't worry, your bread and your water will be sure. Your bread and your water will be sure. True alliance of God will then be necessary because you can't buy yourself anymore. You've got to rely on Him for your food, for your clothes, maybe even during the winter, shelter, whatever it may be. But as we look at the stories in the past, how God has delivered Daniel and his friends from the lion's den and the fiery furnace, as he protected Elijah in heathen lands, God, I know for a fact, will pre preserve us too, if we trust in him, and if we're faithful to him too. But it says that the number of the beast, it is the number of a man. Verse 18. Now, what is the number of this beast? It is 666. But at the same time, it is also a number, the number of a man, identifying mark of this first beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist. So another identifying mark is given. Let's look at this, okay? Where in the Bible does it talk about the papal power and a man? 
First, let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says here, starting in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That man of what? Sin. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That man of sin says, I am God. That man of sin. And we know that to be the papacy. But another point where the papacy is also revealed with a man is found in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8. Let's go there also. So we know when it's related to it is a number of a man, somehow it is related to the papacy and a man that is, is at its head. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8. The Bible says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. So he had eyes like the eyes of a man. And who is this man referring to? Who is the man that's at the head of the union of that church and state power? None other than the Pope. History shows, and we know that, of course, in the future, it will also once again be revealed again. The Pope will be the man that's at the head of this religio-political power. Now, what name stands out for the Pope? that will be common to each and every pope because you see every pope has had a different name for example the pope that is ruling now was benedict is benedict but the pope that was previous to it was who pope john paul so they all have different names but this name for this pope or the man at the head of the church must be consistent throughout all time what is it vicarious philly day yes holy see is another name that's given to him too but here it is, Vicarious Filii Dei. And what does Vicarious Filii Dei actually mean? Just, this is in Latin. It's just simply Vicar of God. Dei, Deity, God. Vicarious Vicar. So Vicar of God, or God on earth. Representative of God on earth. Now, if we look at this name, Vicarious Filii Dei, we're going to see that it all adds up to a number that we were looking for. Let's look at this. V, well, now we're looking here at Roman numerals, okay? So we take the Roman numerals V, 5, I, 1, C, 100, A, 0, R, 0, there's no such thing as A, R, or S, so there's 0. And then I is 1, and U, also representing a V, is 5, total, 112. Filii gives us a total of 53, and day with D being 500, gives us a total of 501. So we add it all up together, 112 plus 53 plus 501, it gives us what? 666. It is the number of a man. So if we receive this number of the man, we're going to what? We're going to be lost, friends. You can't buy or sell. You're going to have the mark in your forehead or in your hand. And it's the number of a man too. So you can receive that. How? 
how do you receive the number of a man? How do you receive a number of a man? By worshipping. So, really, the great thing that's leading it down to is who you're going to worship at the end of the day. Because in essence, if you're worshiping the image of the beast, which is Sunday law, correct? If you're worshiping when that law is instituted and you're worshiping on the Sunday, you're really worshiping who? The papacy. But who's at the head of the papacy is the Pope, the Caris Philly Day. But in essence, who gave power to the papacy? The dragon, which is Satan. Now, friends, there's no cause for alarm today. There's no mark of the beast out there at the moment. I need to make this part clear. Nobody has the mark of the beast yet. As far as I know, anyways, in, according to the laws that have been established in this land, no law has been instituted in America where we have to worship on a Sunday or else we'll be killed. So as a result, I know for a fact that nobody out there has the mark of the beast. But let this fact not put us to slumber like the Laodiceans. Because there is going to be a time where it will happen in the future. And I believe that it's very soon to come. We're at that third stage. The image of the beast has already been set up. You know what? We're all, what what's, this is just waiting for? We're just waiting for another major disaster to happen. That's all. Ellen White describes to us very clearly that when these major natural or man-made disasters come in, they're going to point to, say, to each other and say, look, God is punishing us because we're desecrated as Ten Commandments. We have to go back to the Ten Commandments. So the people are going to cry out for the Ten Commandments to be established or something like a Ten Commandments day. And then when a natural disaster comes again or a major event that comes again to the magnitude of like 9-11, they're going to say, okay, that's it. We need to put this into law. We, not, we need to be united on this front and we need to get everybody to worship on Sunday. And so somehow people are going to be forced to worship on this day. But what's going to happen? There's going to be a group of faithful people that will not. But yet the natural disasters are still going to come in. People are still going to attack this land maybe or some sort of disaster to the magnitude of 9-11 will still occur and they're going to say, look, there's this group of people that are actually not obeying the Ten Commandments. And because of them, God is visiting the judgments upon the land so that we've got to kill them. Ellen White tells us that the last day events are going to be rapid ones rapid, fast, no time to think. And I pray that we will all be established in the faith today. Friends, we don't know when salvation will run out on us, when time, time of probation will close on us. It may be that we walk out these doors that the time of probation will close. Today we need to be sure where we stand and whether we are ready to die for the Sabbath, a truth that is so precious to all of us. Are you ready? If you're not, you need to go back and search your heart this evening. What is stopping you from being ready? Why are you not ready? Is it still unbelief, disbelief? Are you still 
contemplating whether the Saturday is still the true Sabbath or not. Friends, we need to cast aside all this shadows and darkness and be clear to stand in the true light of what we understand. This is the study of Revelation. Especially Revelation 13 we're seeing being fast fulfilled. And I pray that as we see these events, may God stir our hearts to find and form a revival in our lives that will come out of the Laodicean condition that we're in to truly get this work finished and then we can go home. That's it. This is, the message is that simple, friends. Why don't we pray? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's kneel. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for being so merciful on us. The prophecy of Revelation 13 has been around for many years. But yet somehow, Lord, we're here. We're gathered and we've heard the message. We've heard the events that will take place in the future. And Lord, whether our minds still need to be convicted or converted, I pray, Lord, that you work in our hearts in a very special way this evening. Give us no rest, Lord, till we give complete surrender to you. So, Lord, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit be poured upon us in a very special way to guide and to lead us, to give us strength to live holy lives, O oh Lord. May you come quickly, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.